Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Exodus chapter 14. You know, this being Special Healing Sunday, of course, we emphasize God's miracle power and ability. And we endeavor to get people's faith elevated to a higher place where they can receive from God. And so that's what our objective is. To touch spirits and the spiritual condition of the individual to get faith to rise in their hearts. And I expect that to be done. Do you? Do you expect that to be done in your life? Amen. Now, even if you're not in any need at this particular time, I want to just share with you a nugget that will bless you forever. If you'll feed your heart faith when seemingly you don't need it, your heart will feed your mouth faith when you do. Did you hear that? Your heart will feed your mouth faith when you do need it. So you let your mouth or your lips continue to feed your heart faith even when you don't feel as though you need it because you're not in any particular need and your heart will feed your mouth faith when you do. Exodus chapter 14. Beginning in verse 10. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. Anybody ever chase you? You ever have anything chase you? Besides your husband or your wife? Besides any bill collector or anything like that? Have anybody ever chased you? Any sickness or ever disease ever try to get a hold of you and try to chase you down and hunt you up? Chase you down and just get a hold of your life? Any circumstance, situation, or problem try to attach itself to you? Enemies always trying to get a hold of us. You know that as well as I do. And just like these here, Egyptians were marching after the Israelites. The enemy will always... Try to hunt us down and try to get the better of us. Try to overcome us. And they were so afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Do you ever notice that when you're emotional because of circumstances that are chasing you, you start saying some things that maybe you shouldn't be saying? Spewing out some words that you should not spew out. Ever find yourself doing that? And then regretting what you said after you calmed down and find out that the problem wasn't really as big as you thought it was? Did you ever find yourself in that position before? I thought so. Well, that's what happened to these people. They were afraid. And as a result of their fear, they began to speak out and they said, They said unto Moses, I like the way they get sarcastic here. Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? You detect a little sarcasm there? There were graves in Egypt. Many of them. 
But of course, they want to be funny about it. And so they're saying to, the, to him, is that why you brought us out here to die? Because there weren't any graves back there? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Well, I guess that is what they said. They said that. They said those very words. That was their opinion. That's how they felt about it. God mightily delivered them out of Egypt. And now they find themselves facing their first set of adverse circumstances after being delivered from Egypt's bondage. Isn't it amazing that these same individuals were crying out unto the Lord because of the oppression that was in their lives? They were oppressed. Couldn't stand that oppression any longer. And so they cried out to God for deliverance. And so God delivers them. And after He delivers them and they find out they're being chased and hunted, now they're upset again. Now they're afraid again. And now their emotions are running wild again. And now they don't know what to do. And so they become sarcastic and spewing out some things they shouldn't be saying, murmuring and complaining, which was their... You know, their habit. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not. He knew they were being motivated by fear. And so he cries out, addressing that fear, and says, Fear ye not. Well, beloved, many times we're going to face circumstances in this life that can be only remedied by the power of God. Only through divine intervention can we be helped. And in a time like that, there is a tendency for one to fear. When the doctor tells you there is no hope for you, all hope is gone, you're facing a situation that, you know, man can do nothing about, fear can grip our lives. Our emotions can run wild and get the better of us. The thing we've got to do is recognize the fact that in this life we are going to be facing situations that can only be remedied by the power of God. And so what we need to do is to prepare ourselves the best way we know how to face those kinds of situations in life. Here, that's exactly where they were. And so Moses said to the people, fear ye not. Fear was very real. He did not say to the people, ignore your fears. He told the people, fear not. Now, I believe with all of my heart that even though fear was there, it must be true that one can be in the midst of fear but make a decision not to be afraid. That has to be true. Because, you see, God has given us about 365 verses in the Bible or Scriptures pertaining to fear in the Word of God, which is one for every day of the year. And He tells us to fear not and gives us reasons why we should not allow fear to grip our lives. So it's important to understand that God is not going to tell us to do something that we cannot do. 
If cooperating with God means making a decision not to fear, then it's apparent to me that we have the ability not to fear, even though we're surrounded by fear. You remember in uh, Isaiah, he said that fear will gather round about you, but yet it will not overcome you. And so Moses says, look, fear ye not, stand still. Even though they were hemmed in, and even though all hope seemingly was gone, even though it appeared to them as though they were going to die out there in the wilderness, still Moses had confidence in the ability of the God that he served. So, beloved, it's still possible for all of us, even though we may be hemmed in by circumstances and surrounded by every enemy, even the enemy of fear, it's still possible for us to be confident enough in our God not to fear. And Moses was trying to get them to lift their eyes up above the circumstances and see God at work, rather than be overcome by what they saw with their natural eyes. And so he says, fear not. Well, it's easier said than done sometimes. But yet, it's still a command that he gave them. He said, fear not. Beloved, I believe we serve a miracle-working God. Amen. And I believe, and you all should believe also, that we serve a God who has a solution to every human problem. God wants us to think that way. He wants us to believe that way. And He wants us to speak that way. Even though in the natural it may appear as though we're not going to get victory in any situation, God wants us to still think that way, believe that way, and speak that way. He does not want us to murmur against Him or speak out against His ability and power. He wants, him, he wants us to put Him first place in our lives. That's exactly what Moses was trying to get across to the people. And the first thing he says is, fear not. Fear is a destructive force. Fear will destroy faith. Fear will drive us to do things and say things we should not do and should not say. Fear will drive us to act certain ways that we should not act. Fear, the Bible says, has torment. Fear will trouble a human life. Fear is a force of satanic origin. It is not a force that springs out of the heart of God. In the beginning, when Adam rebelled against God... He hid himself because he was naked and afraid. He did not know fear, neither did he know shame, until the forces of darkness were unleashed in his life. Up until that point, he was perfectly fine with communicating with God and walking with Him in the cool of the day. And he had no fear of God, and he was not ashamed. But because of this tremendous fall, he exposes his life to fear and to shame. It becomes a prevailing force. It causes him to hide himself from God. I want you to know that fear will still cause people 
to hide from God. Fear will shut God out, in other words, and open up the doors to the work of darkness. God does not want His people to fear. And we've got to teach ourselves not to fear. He doesn't just tell us to do something without providing the means whereby to do it. In other words, He says this, Fear not, for I am with thee. In other words, He is saying this, How can you fear if you really know I'm with you? That's a good point, isn't it? In another verse in Isaiah 43, one it says, Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I've purchased you with my own blood. You belong to me. Thou art mine. So don't fear. Don't be afraid. I am on your side. He is trying to get us to focus on who he is and not focus as much on who the enemy is. And so Moses reminds the people, fear ye not. You're speaking out of fear. You're acting out of fear. Your emotions are running wild because you're afraid of the unknown. Beloved, when we face death, fear is a natural reaction. They were facing death. There was no bridge to cross the sea. There was no boat built at that time. They had no time to wait for man to come up with a solution to their problems. To build a bridge over the troubled waters of human life. To put together a boat so they can sail across the sea. They had no time for that. And they had not the strength, neither the ability to withstand the trained armies of the Egyptians. And so there they were. And they had every reason to be afraid. But he said, look, fear not. We need to learn to cooperate with God. And be obedient to what He tells us to do. Knowing that when He tells us to do something, we have the ability to do it. And also that when He says not to fear, there's a reason why we don't have to. And always look for that reason. Fear not because I am with you. In other words, let's look at it like this. You're walking down the street. It gets dark in the evening. Maybe you're a young lady, you know, you're walking down the street, maybe you're leaving college or something like that, school, and you're walking down a dark alleyway or something like that. You need to get to your car, and all of a sudden, you hear a noise, and you get somewhat startled by it, and you're somewhat afraid. When you're alone and by yourself, and you know that, the tendency is to really allow fear to grow, and really cling to you. But if Jesus appeared on the scene and took you by the arm and you actually saw his face and an angel on the other side was standing there looking at you and said, come on, there's no need to fear. We're with you. We'll escort you to your car. Where's fear then? It's out the window. It's gone. Why? Because you see, you're in contact with, with someone you know is greater than whatever the problem may be. And so immediately, there's a change in your life. There is a change in your mental state. There is a change in your spiritual condition. That's why oftentimes he'll say, if you're not, neither be dismayed. Don't be discouraged spiritually. And that's talking about a troubled heart because of sudden perplexity. Don't allow your heart 
to be engaged in discouragement through fear. Because it will shut down spiritual forces that will contribute to your success. And once again, you know, it's easier said than done maybe, but nevertheless, we've got to learn to do it. We've got to teach ourselves to do it by following the precepts of God's Word. Because that's what's going to get us over and that's what's going to, to allow God to work a miracle in our lives. We've got to recognize that, beloved. That's how we get miracles from God. By cooperating with Him and doing what He instructs us to do. So fear not. The greater one is right there standing by your side. His angels are unleashed and loosed on your behalf. He has purchased you by His blood. He is there to defend you, protect you, and to help you in whatever it is you're encountering in life. No matter what the situation is. And He wants us to focus on that so that fear then slowly but surely begins to wane and dissipate from our lives. And faith then begins to rise up. And a spirit that's not discouraged is a spirit that is encouraged. Spiritually strong, which will sustain us in any time of need. You notice the next thing he gives them as far as uh, instruction is concerned. Stand still. You ever notice in Psalm 46, 10 it said, Be still and know that I am God. And once again, it's important to understand the principles of God here. What is He telling us? He is telling us to be still or quiet in our emotions. You know as well as I do, when we face situations that seemingly are emergencies, you get a rush of adrenaline and your mind begins to go rampant. It just begins to go off in all kinds of different directions. And, you know, what am I going to do now? How are we going to overcome this? Is this really true? Did that really happen? And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Did you ever get a report from someone on a phone that says, this happened to so-and-so? And by the time the next person gets it, it's worse than it was in the first place. And by the time the tenth person gets it, you might as well forget about it. Call the undertaker. That's really the way things do spread. And so you may have been the fifth person to hear what had happened, and as a result of hearing it, you know, you're the fifth person to hear it. Once again, you've got this person practically dying. And yet that's not the case at all. But because that person was a close friend of yours and dear to your heart, what happened in you when you heard that? There was a rush of emotions, you know, that just absolutely ran wild inside you. Not knowing what to do. And you know what? What was it based on? In some cases, it could even be based on false information. There are situations, for an example, if you want me to be more specific, here's an example. We've had many calls of individuals who were taken from work, let's say, to a hospital because they had, let's say, chest pains or something like that. Well, by the time we got the report at the church, they had a massive heart attack and they're in CCU and they don't know if they're going to make it. There's a big difference between someone going to the hospital because they've had chest pains or something similar to that and someone having a massive coronary. Wouldn't you agree? Isn't there a tremendous difference between the two? And you go from your emotions going berserk because you think this person had a massive coronary, and then all of a sudden, when you find the truth out, whew, 
you go back down to a calm and think, oh, it's not as bad as we thought. Why the fluctuation of emotional feeling? What was it all based on? The words that we heard, the report that was given to us. So you see, beloved, our feelings and emotions can fluctuate and change based on those things that we hear. Well, what God is wanting us to hear above these other things is what He has to say to us. And the things that He can do for us to bring victory into our lives. Because He doesn't want us to get discouraged spiritually so that we're overthrown or overcome in other areas of our lives. Here it is saying, stand still or be still in your emotions and know that I am God. Bring them under subjection to spiritual truth. Bring them to a place of calm. Be at peace. Because even if the report that was given was an evil report, the God that we serve is greater. Now, consider Joshua and Caleb and the other ten spies when they spied out the land and they brought back word. They both brought back word as it was in their hearts. The two spies had a report of faith and the ten spies had a report of doubt and unbelief. The ten stirred up the hearts and the minds of the people. They went absolutely berserk emotionally. They went crazy. They were ready to stone Joshua and Caleb because they had a different spirit about them. They had a different perception of things. Rather than allowing themselves to be overcome by fear and dominated by the circumstances that were there, they chose to focus on who God is. And they voiced their faith saying, the God that we serve, He will defend us. And he'll get us in. The enemy is bred for us. Why is there such a vast difference between their condition spiritually and emotionally and the others? Because you see, the others were still like this. They were afraid. They were dismayed. And they were unsettled in God. And as a result... God was not able to fully manifest Himself like He wanted to in their lives. Because they were shutting down His miracle of power and ability. So Moses tells them the things that are necessary to do. Don't fear. Be still. Now notice the next part. And see the salvation of the Lord. Don't focus on defeat. Don't even focus on the fact that you're going to die out here. And that's exactly what they were doing. And beloved, the sad scenario is this. He could never get them to do those three steps. If you'll read through all of Exodus, you'll find out in Numbers and, and the uh, other references, you'll find out he could never get them to the place of not being afraid and emotionally Overcome and able to see that God was their salvation. 
And as a result of them not being able to rise up to that place, they did not inherit the promised land. And they did die in the wilderness prematurely. But Moses, once again, gives them instruction. And he says, you will see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. Another key thing right here, beloved, as far as our success is concerned, is to see the salvation of God. If we should pray any prayer for ourselves, it should be this. That the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we would be able to see the salvation or the deliverance or the healing or the victory that was provided for us at Calvary. God wants us to see with spiritual eyes the salvation that comes from Him through Jesus Christ. And that should be a part of our prayer for ourselves. That I might see and behold the salvation of my God. That I would come to a place of understanding and accurate knowledge of what Jesus did for me on the cross. And know how to appropriate it in my life in a successful way. He goes on to say, For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. Look at the next part. Oh, this gets rich. Verse 14 says, For the Lord, or the Lord shall fight for you. The Lord shall fight for you. Well, you want to get a confession? Say this with me tonight. The Lord... Fights for me. I mean, you could just take that and run with it. The Lord fights my battles. The Lord fights my battles. Do you know what kind of pressures will be released from the person who says and is consciously aware of the fact that the Lord fights my battles? Thank God I've given Him all the load. Whether it's this problem or that problem or this situation or that, I've turned the whole thing over to Him. The Lord fights my battles. The Lord will fight for you. Too often, we view ourselves in such a way that we don't think that we're worthy enough for God to do our fighting for us. But, beloved, Jesus' blood made us worthy, and the Father God is quick to fight for His children, to defend His children. He is quick to reach out His hand of deliverance for His children. And He wants us to begin to understand that and see that and walk in the light of it. The Lord fights for us. The Lord fights for you. The Lord fights for me. He is at work for us right now. He delights in protecting and defending His children and His own. He longs to do that for us. So be still in our emotions. See the salvation of God. The Lord will fight for us. And too often, beloved, we have not, again, taught ourselves to, to, to let God fight for us. How to release it unto the Father. How to let Him do our fighting for us. You know as well as I do, too often when we release it 
It's not two minutes later, we put on our boxing gloves. Isn't that true? We get in the ring for ourselves. And finally, someone comes along and pulls you off and says, take off those gloves and sit down. God wants to fight for you. And we sit back there for a while and get a little bit nervous once again, put those gloves back on and go up back in the ring again. Why are we doing that? Because we don't think anything's getting done because you can't see him fighting for you, for us. And see, we war with that. Oh, would to God we would better learn how to put God to work for us and how to let him do our fighting, to fight our battles for us. He's a whole lot better at it than we are, wouldn't you say? Oh, amen. amen. The Lord will fight for you. And you, and here it is again, shall hold your peace. I guarantee you, for the most part, we've got that whole thing in reverse. We want God to hold His peace and we do our own fighting for us. Right? I'll take that thing by the horn. I'll pull, pull his hair out. I'll do this. I'll do that. Tear it off limb from limb. You know, we're wanting to do the fighting for us because that's how we are. And as a result, God's got to hold his peace until we get our say in. But he said, no, I don't want you to do it that way. You hold your peace and let me do the fighting. But here's how we do that. He goes on and instructs them. And the Lord said unto Moses... Wherefore Christ thou unto me, speak unto the children of Israel. Now this is God speaking. I want you to understand this. This is God speaking. That they go forward. God wants to go forward in the things that pertain to his kingdom. In the things that pertain to our rights and privileges. Whatever it is that we've got coming to us from God, he wants us to move forward in. He doesn't want us to allow anything to stop us or distract us or to get us to go backward. He wants us to go forward in these things that pertain to our lives. He said, tell them to go forward. But you, this is how you're going to get the job done. You lift up the rod, thy rod, which is the word. Stretch out thy hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. You've got the word. Use it is what he's saying. You take the word and you stretch the word out. Beloved, once again, I realize it's easier said than done. But it is of utmost importance that especially in the times of crisis... We stretch out the Word of God over the troubled waters of human life. In other words, we uphold the Word of God. See, beloved, we are creatures that touch three realms of life. The spiritual, the emotional, and the physical. We are really not lined up the way God created us right now. Our spirits have been regenerated, but our minds are not, and our bodies are not. As a result, we're not even in harmony with ourselves. The flesh wars against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, 
And in actuality, God never intended that. He didn't cause us to be a freak. But He cannot do anything about our emotional and physical condition as long as we're still living in this earth suit, this body of ours on earth. He has recreated our spirits, but now our mind has got to be renewed and our bodies with all the feelings and emotions have got to be kept under. And we are not to allow our emotional feelings to dictate to our lives, although they are very real, very genuine, and have to be dealt with on a day-by-day basis. They are not to rule our lives. Now, the multitudes allowed their feelings and emotions to rule their lives, their words, and their conduct. As a result, God's power was limited. God could not do for them everything that they wanted. But Joshua and Caleb, they were of another spirit. They refused to give in to the temptation to be afraid, to be fearful, and troubled. They chose to focus on God. They chose to focus on His ability, on His miracle power. They chose to set their mind on things above rather than on things below. As a result, they experienced victory and they overcame. We must learn to do the same thing. Our emotions are very real. Our feelings are very real. But you know what, beloved? In the midst of it all, we can still learn how to uphold the Word of God above our feelings and emotions. For we walk by faith, not by sight. In other words, I may not feel this way, but I say what God says. In other words, human reason may dictate otherwise, but God has chosen the foolish things to confound the wise. So I rather choose to side with God rather than feeling and rather than emotion. I choose to side with spiritual truth. And in so doing, I step back. I want you to see this. I get out of that ring. I take my seat and I let God fight for me. See, the only fight I'm called to fight is the good fight of what? Faith. And you know what? That fight is not in a ring with an enemy. That fight is sitting right here with myself and keeping myself seated. Because my flesh wants to get up and fight. And my spirit is saying, sit down and let God fight for you. The battle's with myself. My body says, no, you're not going to make it. The doctor says, no, you're not going to make it. Your mind says, no, you're not going to make it. See, it's wanting to get up. It's wanting to voice. But the spirit man on the inside says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. So I'm just 
Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. But now you're just sweating. And it's just running. Why? Because you know it's hard to sit here. You know this is hard work to sit here. At first. Because all your feelings and all your emotions want to run. They want to be in control. But you sit tight. Say, what are you doing? Actually, I'm relaxing right now. <laughs> it's been a long day. <laughs> I'm being still. I'm being still. And I'm knowing that He is God. A very present help in time of trouble. See, the fight, beloved, is right here. The flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. That's the fight of faith. That's the fight of faith. It's not denying my feelings and it's not denying my emotions. What it is, is fighting. Who will have supremacy? Who will gain control? Will it be my spirit or will it be my soul? See, the flesh through the soul will gain control. And dictate to our lives. And you know what? It will allow fear to come in. It will allow doubt to come in. All these forces will come in. And control us. Once again. It's not an easy thing to do. To sit there. And let God do our fighting for us. Have you ever been there before? What about when the time comes. to You know when worry tries to. Get a hold of you. Or anxiety. Over a situation. And I mean this thing is so big and it's so troublesome. That you don't know what to do. And God comes along and just whispers into your sweet little ear. Be anxious for nothing. That's easy for you to say you're God. Right? Why does he say that? Why does God come along and tell us things like. Take no thought for your life. Don't worry. We should all get our signs out and say, this is a worry-free zone. Right? There are drug-free zones and all that. Well, we should wear that sign right here. Worry-free zone right here. No worry. No stress. No anxiety. No fear. No doubt. Can you see that? Now, that's how God wants us to be. And again, it's easier said than done. But we've got to teach ourselves. We've got to school ourselves into faith. And the only way we can do that is by looking at our options. Here's the problem, but here's the problem solver. Here's the situation at hand, but here's God. God says, I'll fight for you, but this looks like it's bigger than God. We keep looking at God until God gets bigger. We've got to see the salvation of our God. We've got to see it and perceive it and, and teach ourselves that it's thus and so. And then when we get to that point, beloved, God will be bigger than the problem. And fear and anxiety and worry and all those things will not grip us. Will not dominate us. Will not control us. They will still gather about us. But then we'll begin to laugh. See the salvation of your God. You've got to use the word. And you've got to do what he said. 
And if we'll do that, beloved, God will go to work. I want to show you another dilemma. If you read through the rest of this, you'll discover that God worked a mighty work on the behalf of the Israelites. Look at verse 31. Let's conclude the whole thing. Look at verse 31. They did what God said to do. And as a result, in verse 31, and Israel saw the great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people... Now, hold on for a minute. Hold on for a minute. Feared? And the people what? Feared the Lord. Wait a minute. They were just afraid of the Egyptians. Do you realize you can get to a place that you fear God more than problems? That I fear God more than situations? We can actually have a reverential fear of God. A fear of displeasing Him and speaking out against Him. That really moves us not to fear the enemy. In other words, we have a greater respect and reverence for God. And I'd rather fear Him than the enemy. And if you think about it, beloved, He Himself said, Don't fear those that can just destroy your body. Didn't He say that to us? But fear Him. Fear God Almighty. We're to fear Him. See, we can teach ourselves that. And if we will, there'll be a change within our lives. And rather than say something like, Oh, have you brought us out here to die because there's not enough graves in Egypt? You wouldn't say that. You'd say, you brought us out here by the hand of God. And even though this is a dilemma, God is well able to take care of us in this situation. And I... I fear Him so much, I wouldn't dare say anything else. Because I'm afraid to say anything that would displease Him. He's God. Can you see that? But see, they didn't teach themselves to be that way. Now, in Exodus chapter 15, I want you to look at verse 23. When they did what God told them to do, God worked a mighty work on their behalf. And they saw His salvation and saw His deliverance. Now, once again, they find themselves having a difficult time. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah, or bitterness. And the people murmured. And the people, once again, you can see they begin to spew out words based on their emotions and based on their fears. And they murmured, saying, what shall we drink? And if you go back and see the pattern, what they're saying once again is, okay, now we're going to die. You brought us out here because there's not enough graves in Egypt. There's no water for us to drink and now we're going to die. They were always quick to respond to their emotions and their fears. You can see it was a habitual thing with them. They were worry warts. Full of anxiety. And at the first sign of trouble, 
Boom! Quick to respond to fear and worry. And quick to spew out murmurings against God's people and against God Himself. That's exactly what they did time and time again. And so once again, that's what they do. And the people murmured. And in verse 25, He cried unto the Lord and the Lord showed him. God will always point us to victory. To the problem solver. He'll point us to the solution to the problem. The Lord showed them. Beloved, God is always pointing us in the direction of success and victory. He always is leading us into a continual pageant of triumph. Our lives are to be victorious. And He always directs us in that way. The Lord showed them or him a tree which when he had cast into the waters the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance and there he proved them. I want you to notice once again here we have troubled waters first of all that God dealt with and those waters were parted by the power of God. Now we have bitter waters. Poison waters. Lives, as far as they were concerned, that would be contaminated. And so once again, there's no other way for us to have sustenance. How are we going to survive out here in this wilderness without water to drink? There is no well. There are no springs. We're going to die. And the water that we find is contaminated. What do we do now? So can you see once again how human emotions do want to run? Do not want to see God? It does not stand to reason. There's no way to purify this water. What are we going to do? And believe me, beloved, cutting down a tree and throwing it into the water doesn't sound like a way for waters to be purified to me. But oh, when you see the tree and you understand the type and you know that Jesus died on a tree for you and for me. And became the curse. You take Jesus and once again he points them to what? Salvation. See the salvation. Don't see the problem. See the solution. Look rather at the solution. You can see there's a problem, but look at the solution. Let the solution override the problem. Take it and cast it into the bitter waters of life. And I'm telling you something right now. Jesus makes bitter water sweet. They're drinkable. You see? And once again, it's talking about life. Oh, life is so precious. Oh, beloved, if we could ever teach ourselves to see the value of a human life. I don't really think we've seen that yet. I don't know that we know the depths of, of the value of a human life. I mean, I know 
We try so hard to recognize this truth, how precious one life is. When a baby is born, may I ask you a question? Do you ever see a baby being born? Or just a newborn baby? I mean, how do you feel when you see that brand new life? It gets you right down here, doesn't it? How many of you still are in awe and amazement at the birth of a brand new baby? Doesn't it still bring tears to your eyes? And I'll tell you what, if you ever had the, the privilege of seeing that baby being born, wow. How can anybody deny God after having seen a child born? I have no idea. What kind of feelings and emotions do you have way down deep in the pit of your stomach? Some of you grandmas out there. That first grandchild that comes along, what happens here? I mean, all these emotions just are set off on the inside of you because you see the beauty of that life. Do we yet understand the fact that Jesus already died for that life and that life is so valuable, so precious and there's something eternal here. That child needs to be saved from the depths of damnation. Do we, can we, do we really have that in our inner consciousness yet? Hell must be an awful place. Do you agree? Hell must be an awful thing. Eternal damnation must be so hideous that Jesus came to take that life and free it from the powers of damnation. Willing to lay down His very life for the lives of those that had no interest in Him. How precious. But it goes to show me how valuable life is. How God really views us as individuals. And you know what, beloved? Romans 8.32 comes to mind right now that says, If He didn't withhold Jesus from you when you were in that state of darkness, now that you're His child, how can He keep anything from you? See, we've not seen the depths of that yet. Our humanness gets in the way. We don't really know how much God loves us. We don't really know. We don't really perceive the full depth, length, height, breadth of God's love. He wants to save us more than we want saved. He wants to heal us more than we want healed. He wants to deliver us more than we want delivered. He wants to help us more than we want help. But we don't see that. Our humanness blocks that out. We've got to teach ourselves these things or we'll never know about that love of God. But what I'm saying is, beloved, we've got to see. We just saw you throw a tree into the water. Big deal. No, Jesus died on that tree. He was trying to tell the people, here's the solution to your problem. One day Jesus is going to die on a tree like that and He's going to make the bitter waters of life sweet. But that's where your salvation lies. Why are you looking at the water when you should be looking at the tree? If I be lifted up, he said, then I'll draw all men unto me. Look at him. 
Don't look at the problem. Look at the problem solver, he's saying. When they were bitten by snakes, what did he say to do? Lift up that serpent on a pole. And everyone who sees that this is your salvation will what? Will live. Amen. Oh, that God would open up our eyes and that we would see. And so here he provides their deliverance once again. He proves himself and he proves them. And he demonstrates to them his awesome love. But he's opening slowly. He's opening their eyes to their salvation. To his salvation. He's going to come and die on that tree. And those waters will become sweet. Look at the next verse. And he said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight. Do you realize that, that sometimes we read that too quickly? What does he mean, we'll do that which is right in his sight? When Joshua and Caleb came back with the report of faith, they were doing that which was right in his sight. Did, did, you, did you hear that? When they came back and said, We're well able to take the land. They did that which was right in God's sight. When the others came back and said, we can't do it. They're bigger than we are. We're like grasshoppers. They did not that which was right in God's sight. Can you see this? Beloved, I didn't make it this way. I'm just telling it to us. Too often, we shut God out and we keep our problems in because we don't see it the right way, and say it the right way. Can you see that? And so we shut ourselves in with our problems rather than letting God take over, putting Him in control, letting Him fight for us and work out the details. But God wants us to change. And He wants us to begin to see and say the right things. And if we will, He says this, and if you'll give ear to His commandments and keep His statutes, then He will not permit any of these diseases upon thee which I brought upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord that healeth thee. I'll bring healing to your emotions. I'll bring healing to your body. I'll bring deliverance. I will be your surgeon. I'll be your physician. I'll be your specialist in any field that pertains to your life. God revealed Himself this way. And beloved, we're talking about seeing our salvation, right? Listen carefully. Right now he is saying, not only will I sweeten the bitter waters, now I will be your great physician. That's what he's telling these people. In other words, I want you to see me as your Jehovah Rapha. I want you to see me as your healer. And beloved, We've got to school ourselves and teach ourselves to see Him as our healer. That's a part of our Christian experience. As a matter of fact, uh, Paul the Apostle, by the Spirit, said a, a major reason why many are, are weak, sickly, and die prematurely is because they don't rightly discern. What's discern mean? See. Clearly see, look into with understanding the Lord's body. Notice it didn't say His blood. Did you hear that? They're weak, sickly, and die prematurely, not because they don't see His blood, but because they don't see His body. They don't steadfastly look at His body that was broken, that was bruised for their healing. God wants us to give a steadfast look at the body of Jesus. And He wants us to say, He bore my sickness. 
You carried my pain. And Father, to whatever depth of understanding I have right now, I'm asking you to make it even clearer. I want to see it more clearly. I want to perceive it with greater perception. I want to know it in a greater depth. And then if we will, we'll see the salvation of our God. We'll see our Jehovah Rapha, our Balm and Gilead. But you see, beloved, too often we're overcome by the report of doubt and unbelief. And too often we're overcome by fear and many other emotions. And we never give place to God. But God wants us to give Him place. And so let's encourage each other in the Lord. Let us encourage each other to see that God has provided solutions to human problems. And on Calvary's cross, everything that was ever needed to alleviate human suffering took place. Can we better see that? And can we better perceive that so that we may individually say with our hearts and our mouths that what Jesus bore, I need not bear. And become more emphatic and say what Jesus bore, I will not bear. What Jesus took, I will not take. And no matter what anyone or anybody else says, I'm saying what God says about my situation. I'm putting God to work for me. For greater is He that's in me than he that is in the world. And I'm an overcomer by my faith. Oh, there is that temptation to be like these murmurers and complainers and grumble throughout life and and while facing life's storms. But I encourage us tonight, be like a Joshua and a Caleb who's seeing the same situation said, no, I'm well able to take the land. Are you well able tonight? Are you? I believe you are because the greater one is in you. God loves you. And His power is here in this place and in your life to put you over tonight. Let's all stand before the Lord. Thank you for listening to our Legacy Teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.